Well, tonight we begin our weeks-long series called Code Blue. It's a closer look at the causes of Canada's current healthcare crisis and possible solutions. Doesn't matter what politicians say, we understand the system is in crisis. It has been in crisis for quite a long time, uh, but certainly it was exacerbated by the pandemic, and now we're reaping the better we're at least reaping the problems of that now the red flags have certainly been raised this summer as a number of emergency rooms across the country have been forced to close or reduce hours due to staffing shortages and nurses in particular is where the big problem is covid people off sick burnout continues to see staff either away or leaving the profession altogether we know this is a problem well yesterday the premiers of ontario and the atlantic provinces met in moncton and said a quote team canada approach is needed to find a solution for the crisis they're facing in their respective regions. Ontario Premier Doug Ford says any solution must draw on suggestions from nurses, doctors, heads of hospitals, and the government. We need to start sharing best practices, better ways of doing things. What, what are you hearing in New Brunswick? What are you hearing in PEI and, and in Nova Scotia? And, and really uh, support each other. That's never happened. I've ne never seen everyone as coordinated and focused uh, for the entire country as we are now. Uh, no offense to Premier Doug Ford, but shouldn't you have been doing this all along? It's astounding. New Brunswick's Premier Blaine Haig said it's not about doing more of the same, but finding fundamental ways to improve. All of which means if you actually listen to what people were saying, they were saying nothing, essentially. They don't have any ideas, you know. Nurses, doctors, heads of hospitals have been saying for years what should be done in this system. And it doesn't seem like anyone's listening. And now we're talking about Team Canada's approach, a Team Canada approach. It's not more about doing more of the same, but finding fundamental ways to improve. All of it is just air. It's air. If you're sitting in an emergency room waiting, it's air. It's nothing. These are words of nothingness. And that's the problem in all this, is lots of people, premiers, the prime minister, talk and they talk and they talk, and they never say anything. So maybe this is a step in the right direction. But again, it comes as emergency room staff across the country look beyond what has been a very challenging summer towards what could be an even worse situation in the fall and winter. One of the emergency rooms at the center of all this so far this summer is the Perth and Smiths Falls District Hospital's emergency room just outside of Ottawa. The ER there was closed for three weeks. Imagine three weeks earlier this summer after a COVID-19 outbreak among ER staff led to critical staffing shortages. Well, joining me now is Dr. Alan Drummond. He's an emergency room physician at that very hospital. He's also co-chair of public affairs for the Canadian Federation of Emergency Physicians. So he has a much broader view of all of this. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad to see you've reopened after what was a very, I mean, a three-week, I guess it was, closure of at least one ER in uh, the Perth and Smiths Falls District Hospital. How did that experience leave you feeling about just the general issue we've been talking about, about the crisis in ERs across the country this summer? It left me feeling uh, vulnerable uh, a little bit uh, because we have a good emergency department. We have an excellent track record for for community service. We're, you know, we're well recognized as being a good institution. Uh, and even we uh, ended up, uh, you know, in this maelstrom of uh, closure. So that made me feel quite unsettled a little unhappy, um, a little unhappy perhaps with, you know, our administration uh, in terms of their response time and their understanding of what the root causes were. Uh, I know that my community uh, felt uh, threatened uh, and unhappy uh, and probably was caught a little bit off guard by 
by the closure. But I would imagine that there are a lot of communities right now going through pretty much the same thing. I mean, there are some hospitals uh, and regions that always uh, are dealing with unanticipated closures, most notably in Nova Scotia and in Western PEI, uh, the interior of British Columbia a little bit, you know, Clearwater, Oliver, all, uh, those kind of places. So uh, a lot of those places have chronic uh, histories of difficulty with staffing. Ontario has not been that way, and we most certainly have not been that way. So it's been a bit of a wake-up call uh, going forward. Uh, you know, I want to make sure this never, ever happens again. Uh, so we've got a lot of work to do in, uh, in terms of restoring the confidence of our staff, restoring our confidence in our administration and in our government, and and bringing the community back on side because I feel that they they probably felt very uh, uneasy about this uh, this exposure uh, that was went on for three weeks. So vulnerable is 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 an apt word. Uh, how did you saw? I mean, when we last spoke, you pointed out the real problem was nursing uh, staff shortages on the nursing side. How did you solve the problem, and is it sustainable? Well, we haven't solved the problem. I mean, we've we've been able to mitigate the problem a little bit. Uh, you know, we've got a couple of new hires, which is helpful, uh, but it takes some time to bring them, uh, you know, to be inculcated with the culture of our emergency department and, you know, workflow and how that works. And we've, the hospital has gone ahead and ordered, uh, hired a couple of agency nurses on the short term to, to help sustain us through the busy s- summer months. Uh, going forward, you know, I, uh, I I I don't think the agency nurses will stay. We're, we've been very fortunate uh, that the agency nurses that they have hired seem quite competent and very friendly and fit in pretty well. But you know, they will move on, and uh, we we are going to have to find uh, adequate nursing to cover going forward. The question is going to be, you know, I'd like to think that COVID's in the rearview mirror, but it is not. And uh, you know, so we're pretty fragile still. And I'm just a bit worried about what happens if we get, you know, COVID 8.0 or something or other uh, in the months ahead and we get staff illness and how that's going to leave us. So I, I still feel exposed and vulnerable uh, and I'm, you know, continue to keep my fingers crossed that we can rebuild our staff, rebuild the team that we lost and uh, and be prepared for what may be a difficult uh, few months. Yeah, because fall and winter is typically a time where you would see more, a busier ER, no? So we are, unlike our urban colleagues, uh, rural rural hospitals can be quite epic, uh because we live on a, a fairly significant highway. So uh, summer is pretty busy for us because we see a lot of walking wounded, poison ivy, fish hooks, you know, fireworks, yeah. injuries, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we also live in a retirement community. We have a lot of elderly people here. If you're 80 here, we consider you to be a teenager practically. And, and uh, uh, I, you know, uh, yeah, we, we could be pretty overwhelmed pretty quickly. We've been hearing since we last spoke, even we've been hearing certainly a lot of recognition that there is a crisis here and a crisis that is not like perhaps crises of the past, but an exacerbation of the crises of the past or the problems of the past. Are you hearing what you want to hear from policymakers and those who are in a position to at least start to solve or at least address some of these issues? So this is part of the problem. I mean, from an Ontario perspective, everybody's talking about Team Ontario, running around saying, oh, shucks, folks. Uh, Yeah, times are tough. But you know what? People are being seen within a timely manner. And every every emergency physician and nurse in this province started looking for the barf bag. Like, which reality are you living in? Because it's just not frankly true. You know, people are waiting 
much longer than they ever have. We've got higher volumes. We've got less staff to deal with this kind of stuff, increasing complexity of the patients. So, you know, the, the, the old one-hour wait time in eMERGE in Ontario is now stretched out to eight hours. We have a health minister equally living in an alternate universe uh, who's saying, well, I don't consider – so these are practically – this is practically a quote. It would be inappropriate to deem this to be a crisis. What crisis are you talking about? Well, you know, I've been in Ontario since 1983. I follow emergency medicine issues pretty fervently. We haven't had a real closure in Ontario since about 2008 when a couple of hospitals in southwestern Ontario had some problems with physician staffing for a month or two or had problems with nursing staffing for a month or two, but no real formal closures for, I don't know, was it now, uh, probably 12, 13 years. Uh, about two years ago, a small hospital in central Ontario called uh, Chesley, I think it was, started to have closures because of nursing problems. A really small hospital, not even sure that they even need a hospital, but uh, again, I'm ignorant of that particular circumstance, so I'm not sure. But we haven't had anything like this uh, in in over 10 years. Uh, and the uh, frequency and the magnitude of these closures is uh, fairly significant. Um so a lot of rural hospitals have had to close for, you know, days or hours. And the media keeps reporting that, oh, some Ontario hospitals have had to close for a day or two. And like, well, we closed for three weeks, so get real here. So we, we have a minister of health who doesn't really understand the problem. And she doesn't exactly inspire confidence in her knowledge of what's actually going on. We have a premier who's, you know, using political doublespeak to wallpaper the, the cracks in the system. So I'm not very heartened, uh, uh, frankly, uh, that our leaders get it. And if our leaders don't get it, then I guess we're not going to have Team Ontario after all. And you know, it's uh, so. Am I optimistic? Well, you know, I'm, 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 and it doesn't extend to just rural communities. The urgent care center in Kingston uh, had to limit this summer the number of people that they were seeing because of short staffing. Forty doctors at St. Joe's in, in Toronto recently penned a letter to their administration saying. Yeah, like we're a big, busy emergency department, and we're quite frankly totally unhappy with uh, the situation in our emergency department. We're concerned about patient safety. Uh, a, a very notable doctor from uh, St. Mike's was recently on a panel discussion with the Ontario Medical Association for the public, and he said, uh, literally, he was 99% confident that things would get worse this this winter. This is a guy who not not big on rhetoric, just plain facts. And he's 99% confident that things are going to get worse. He refused to say 100% because he wanted to maintain that 1% of optimism uh, that might you know might exist. But it's city doctors... It's good to doctors, have hope. It's good to have hope. Yeah. yeah well, 1%. we all have hope, right? Yeah. yeah. So city doctors and rural doctors in the emergency department in this province are saying things are bad and we kind of think they're going to get worse. So that should give you some kind of sense of, of where we're at. I'm speaking with Dr. Alan Drummond as part of our Code Blue series. Each week, we'll be looking at uh, the the crisis in Canada's healthcare system. There's no other way to paint it right now. Uh, Dr. Drummond is an emergency room physician at the Perth and Smith Falls District Hospital near Ottawa. His emergency room was closed for three weeks earlier this summer. He's also co-chair of public affairs for the Canadian Federation of Emergency Physicians, so has a nice lens on what's happening right across the country. When we come back, we will talk about, I and mean, we talk about this all the time, but what are the solutions and what should, uh, you know, the Premier Ford was talking about bold ideas the other day. What does that mean? You know, I want to hear from physicians, he said. I get the impression physicians have been talking for a long time about this. We'll be back with that.
Our guest this half hour is Dr. Alan Drummond. He's an emergency room physician at the Perth and Smiths Falls District Hospital near Ottawa. Uh, his ER was quite uh, notably closed for three weeks earlier this summer due to staffing issues. It has reopened since, but he's worried about uh, what comes come fall and winter. Uh, he's also co-chair of public affairs for the Canadian Federation of Emergency Physicians, so has a good view of what's happening right across the country. I mean, one of the things we always try to do on these shows is talk about solutions. Uh, but when I hear politicians talk about bold ideas, and now we're arguing about public versus private again, uh, without really recognizing what that even means. Um, what are some good solutions, Dr. Drummond? What could we do in the short term to try to alleviate some of what we're witnessing here? Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the short term because uh, the you know the recent plan released by the Ontario government is and which will be looked at by other governments. Make no doubt about it. This federation, you know, one province tries one thing, so other provinces often will mimic that to see if it works. Uh, and there was no urgency whatsoever uh, from the Doug Ford government. They were talking about opening X number of beds, you know, by the year 2028 and, you know, hiring international nurses by 2025 and increasing medical school enrollment, which is basically an eight-year lag time before we actually see them on the ground. So no sense of urgency whatsoever in terms of our current crisis because they refuse to accept that there's a crisis. Uh, and no real attention paid to the real issue here, which is nursing retention. And, you know, so they talk about international nurses, they you know talk about, you know, anything other than what they need to do, which is A, pay the nurses more money, but B, make their make their working conditions uh, safer by attacking crowding, increasing patient uh, nurse patient ratio. So all of that was missing in action. So, you know, it should give you some sense of of why we have little optimism that this government understands you know, anything. And unfortunately, uh, other provinces, I suspect, probably don't have the same handle. So, so here's the deal. Here's what needs to be done. You can, you can pay the nurses whatever you like. Uh, and do they deserve it? The answer is they sure do. But no nurse uh, is going to come back to a work environment where they are stressed, burnt out, overly tired, fatigued, worried about their license, worried about their patients, having to deal with boarded patients in the emergency department, ambulances unable to offload, and violence which is our common daily occurrences in every emergency department in this country. So no amount of money is going to improve that work environment. So what we need to do is look at the root causes. Uh, they have been fully articulated by our association, the Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians, for close to 20 years now. So we need to look at crowding. And crowding in the emergency department is not a reflection of people overusing the emergency department. It's a reflection of a crowded hospital. Most hospitals are deemed safe when they have 85% bed occupancy. They've got extra room to accept admitted patients. There isn't a hospital in this country that's seen that occupancy rate at all. We most often try to function at 100, 120%, which means our hospitals are crowded, which means our emergency departments can't transfer admitted patients. And they occupy our treatment stretchers for days. And every time an emergency department stretcher is occupied, that means four or five patients per hour are stuck in the waiting room waiting to be seen. So we need to address the bed occupancy issue, especially since we have an aging population. We need to improve our bed availability, which means a staffed bed with a staffed nurse, to get down to that magic number of 85%. In order to do that, we also have to increase bed availability in the community, which means improving home care so it's something meaningful, and increasing access to long-term care beds, which is not always easy in rural environments. We need to start uh, now re recommitting to a culture of patient safety. Uh, currently, in any emergency department in this country, it's largely not safe because we're crowded and stressed. And the patients fall through cracks. 
So we need the governments to say, you know, budgets are important, but so is patient safety. So let's let's look at that. What are we going to do? We're going to end hallway medicine. So we're going to look at crowding in hospitals and increase our flow to the floors. We're going to look at, uh, you know, boarding patients in the emergency department for 24 hours stuck in some back hallway where they can conveniently die because we haven't had a chance to see them. And they're not being monitored properly. We're going to look at, you know, this issue of ambulance offloads because we've had cases of people dying in the back of ambulances waiting to be seen. So we need to embrace a culture of safety for our patients and get back to that, 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 that attitude. We need to look at violence and abuse in the emergency department. We've proposed solutions. Uh, the provinces are balkanized, but we need a national approach, a, ma- a national template to mitigate violence, to prevent nurses from leaving because they're afraid for their, their well-being. And I think, you know, uh, also we probably need to look at wellness of our health providers, uh, not just take a yoga lesson or take a resilience lesson or eat more tofu and yoga and be kind to yourself, but actually, you know, making sure that we understand that a healthy workforce is good for everybody. It's good for the patients. It's good for the hospital. It's good for the economy. Uh, we don't have people leaving on workman's compensation for, for stress leave. So, you know, we need to start respecting and valuing our nurses uh, and making sure that they are happy and that they are nurtured and that we don't lose, uh, you know, a nurse after a 10 year career because she's burnt out or he's burnt out. So we need to do better. Well, it sounds like you have a pretty good idea of where the solution, where you start where one starts to fix this. And that is, uh, you know, a combination of, of both good HR and safe working conditions. I mean, it doesn't sound, it's not like a, a completely new system has to be invented. Just fix what you got, right? We can't dodge the fact that this is a national problem. And, you know, the government, the national government does pay some funding towards healthcare. There should be some accountability for that. And I think at some point it would be really a good idea to have a commission looking at, what has gone wrong here that suddenly, you know, emergency medicine and emergency departments are in crisis in this country when before we had a pretty fulsome, dependable service and suddenly it's all gone to hell in a handbasket. So, you know, the, the national government probably could be very helpful in at least fostering a discussion with the provinces about what a national template for emergency services would look like uh, in terms of rural departments. You know, it's not reasonable to suspect anymore that every small community can maintain uh, a 24-hour service. So if not that, then what? And probably a discussion about regionalization of services. Dr. Drummond, thank you so much for your time once again. Thank you for having me so much. I appreciate it. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone. And for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.